Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by 3M, PPG, and Breakthrough Academy. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled The Commercial Couple, Maggie and Matt Kuyper of Harpeth Painting will be discussing how they built a successful commercial painting company together, advice they have regarding married couples working together, and finally, specific thoughts on female entrepreneurship and empowerment within the trades. In episode one, Maggie and Matt discussed the different kinds of commercial work and how to choose your niche. In episode two, they talked about how to break into commercial painting now that you know your niche. In episode three, this episode, Maggie and Matt will dive into completing the work successfully after you have landed your first commercial painting project. In episode four, they will be discussing how to decide whether or not working together with your partner is a good fit for your life. In episode five, Maggie and Matt will lay out how to identify the superpowers of each partner and how to effectively work together. And in episode six, the final episode, Maggie will be discussing female entrepreneurship and empowerment within the trades. If you want to ask Maggie or Matt questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so on our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. There you can ask Maggie or Matt questions directly by tagging them with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company. What's going on, guys? I think you need to focus on doing one of those radio ads where you're the really fast guy at the end. <laughs> terms of condition, man's black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I take this medication for over 55 years old. Yeah, may cause death. <laughs> <laughs> may cause death, destruction, dismemberment, <laughs> annihilation of anything and everyone you've ever cared about. Good luck. Yeah. No, we're good. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, super, super excited, man. So we, we covered the different kinds. Um, of commercial niches, we covered, all right, how do you break in? How do you actually get known? You know, how do you how do you figure out what company you even want to work with, what general contract or whatnot? Uh, let's get into now, uh, how do you actually succeed? Do you know the answer to that, Matt? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> the ultimate question. Yeah. We landed the job. Oh, crap. What do we do? Okay. Yeah. And the perfect answer is, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Maybe we can go through a couple different scenarios. Uh, I actually have a couple things that came to mind right as you were doing the intro with um, uh, our friend Nick Slavic, who was asking me some questions about a commercial project that he was looking at. And uh, 
you know, he just wanted some feedback on on pricing, but then also workflow because it's kind of a different workflow than than residential can be. And this was just a little, uh, not so little, but it was a, a like an office build out, you know, just typical acoustical ceilings, vinyl base, carpet kind of thing, mostly just paint and walls and door frames. So we kind of just walked through the project of making sure that they let you prime and first coat the walls before they put any ceiling grid in or any floors down or anything like that. Uh, you know, make sure you have a touch up process identified with the general contractor for what the drywall guy needs to come back and do. And then being clear about when things are ready, what the final coat needs to be. Uh, and every contractor is going to be a little bit different, but that's generally kind of the steps for an easy project. Uh, you know, so even, even Nick, not throwing him under the bus by any means, he, he knows what he was talking about. He just kind of wanted a second opinion on if, is this right? Is this how we should approach this? Cause when you're in residential work, it's a little bit different where you're, you're not dependent on other trades as much, or if, or if you're doing new construction, you may be, but it's still a little bit more of a different process with all the trim work and stuff, wood floors, stuff like that. But I think there's two key elements to what you're saying, which is number one, there's no magic bullet. <laughs> and if there was a magic bullet to sequencing, then we would all have a lot more money in our bank account from jobs. I think everybody would be doing it then. Yeah. It's easy. Everybody would do it. And then even taking a step further back is what you said is communication is key. And I think our PMs that are good at this are good at it because they make partnerships with the GCs and they build relationships and they have these conversations instead of just um, everything being reactive, like, oh gosh, they had us come in and prime. So we primed, but then all of a sudden they, they cut a bunch of more holes and that's a change order. But did you have that conversation about, you know, I mean, we're learning to now I'm all like, when's your tile guy coming? When's your plumbing guy? I mean, asking those questions and learning about what their plan for that job and the sequencing is all based on communication. Yeah. And to second that, it was actually uh, kind of flows into my second point. I just got back from a very complex project walkthrough this morning that took three hours and we're starting next week, but there's, there's a lot more heavy handed sequencing that needed to happen. There's it's a factory. So there's shutdowns that machines need to be moved. Uh, and again, it comes back to being proactive and, and communicating with the, the team to understand what the expectations are, how many people can you actually put on the job to accomplish what they want to accomplish in the short period of time that they have a lot of, a lot of moving parts and logistics. So you really need to know, uh, what you can get done in a given day or week. Yeah. Makes sense. So the proactive communication in terms of the sequencing, in terms of when knowing, um, I guess, what order they're planning to go in for the project, you know, when people are going to come. What about, and I think Maggie might have, I think you might have hinted at slightly with the change orders and things like that. I guess as you guys have continually grown your business and encountered more projects and different kinds of projects and different kinds of issues, do you find that you you kind of build out your contracts sort of longer you put in more terms and conditions or you, you get burned and you're like, oh, wow, we got, you know, we didn't see that one coming. Let's go ahead and 
adjust how we move forward so we don't get hit with that again? What's your guys' thought? Yeah, I would argue 50% of the people who think they're getting burned missed the communication and and expectation setting on the front end. Don't get me wrong. I think there are painters that get burned by GCs or, or any other client for that matter. But I would say half of them probably didn't do their due diligence. And, and as we grow in these relationships, because as we mentioned in previous episodes, it is so relationship driven, this, this niche of the industry, um, you've got to, you've got to learn those, those clients and those relationships. And so some of the GCs that we work with, it's to the point where we kind of know how they sequence. We kind of know the other trades that are going to be there for the most part. And we're able to then bid accordingly. And that's an even stronger marketing tool to be able to say, like, we know how this job is going to run. We're not going to surprise you with change orders unless you guys just blow this up. Um, and there's there's confidence in that from both parties. Yeah, so those relationships are key. Yeah. So with change orders, you know, one of the the gripes and kind of the issues with painting, obviously, is sort of the last thing to get done sometimes, right? So there are things that that need to get changed. Well, then we got to repaint. How do you guys deal with with that? I guess how do you protect yourselves against that? The biggest part is documentation, whether it's uh, photos, emails. You need you need a paper train on everything. Paper trail, paper train. Trail. It, I like it, train, it, man. Train. It becomes a train sometimes, really. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then just not letting it get too far away from you. Like, for example, if, if you started working on other trade damage or touch-up stuff that you didn't feel was part of your scope, but you did it for two weeks and then came to them and said, hey, this is all extra work, you're probably going to get screwed you need to be a lot more proactive of, Hey, we see all this stuff coming. How do you want to address that? How do you want us to proceed with this work? Are there any things, words of caution? You know, you guys said half the time it's a lack of communication. Sometimes painters do get burned. Do you have any specific advice for how, aside from the proactive communication, obviously that's a given, but let's say, let's say you're working with a GC that you don't know. And you think they're good, but you're really not 100% sure. You're taking the project you feel pretty good about, but you're just not, no way to be sure. How can you protect yourself from maybe someone who doesn't practice business the best way possible so you don't have to get burned to figure that out? I think on the front end, make sure you have a contract and make sure that that contract is reviewed by an attorney. We don't necessarily have all of our contracts reviewed by our attorney because um, of the nature of who we're working with. But if, if there's any concern at all, I mean, that's, as that Kenny calls it, that's cheap insurance to pay your attorney $200 to review a contract to make sure that if things get dicey, you have the legal backing with that contract to be able to, to stand up for yourself. Are there yeah. any specific kinds of so there's gcs and obviously you know some people just maybe aren't as good of a person or don't practice business the same way but are there any specific kinds of projects you know like hey these kinds of projects tend to be dicier or mm -hmm. painting companies tend to get burned more if you go into this sector are there any specific things that you would you'd maybe say carry greater risk i don't think so uh 
I've never really thought about it that way. So I'm kind of thinking off the top of my head, but I think I, any, I don't believe that there is. I think anything with many layers of red tape. So for example, working for um, larger corporations that govern maybe your client. So, um, and, you know, or governmental agency, right? So if you've got the GC reporting to the client, but then if the client is subsequently referring to like a larger parent organization, I think it's important to know sometimes that first of all, those are very large animals to fight, but also you're adding a layer of red tape for decision-making, for check signing, for change order acknowledgement. Um, you just kind of, you know, if things have to continue to work their way up the chain, for example, I have a property manager that I work with who's, um, it's the, the FAA, like it's the government airport, whatever industry. Federal aviation yeah. administration. Right. No, I knew that. Thank you. But point being like, he does, he wants to hire me and he wants to get me paid, but you know, I submitted a bid for him over 60 days ago and followed up with it today only to hear, well, I sent it up the chain, which for him probably means, you know, to his boss, who then sent it to his boss, who then sent it to the government bubble. Lord knows where it is. Um, so I guess we're just waiting on Biden to sign off on this. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just it's just knowing where the paper trail not paper train, but knowing where the where the decision makers are and how many people have to sign off is just helpful. It helps you understand why things might be slower, that it, maybe it isn't malicious. Maybe it truly is just the red tape. Yeah, I could see how that would add a layer of risk too, because if yes. you guys, for change orders, let's say, if, if you need to get things done, you don't want to say, well, we, we need to wait until we're paid or until this is officially approved not really looking like a team player. If you're kind of holding up the whole project, they're dealing with red tape. You move forward, you put in work and, and pay for labor and materials. Then it comes back. Okay. This isn't approved. Now yeah. it's got burnt. I think an important thing we've learned and, and this doesn't just have to do with getting paid, but I think it's indicative of the client is figuring out how far away you are from the person that gets you paid. And yes, we all want to get paid on the end of this, but I think that is also just a general indicator of how how far into an organization um, decision makers are going, because I, that definitely has more, it muddles everything a little bit more. If one person five degrees away from you is upset and is standing between you and your retainage or you and you know the punch list, but you're five people away from that decision maker, you know, so slowly learning your clients and, and trying to get to that person. So this is probably an oversimplification, overgeneralization, but would you say, given that bigger companies tend to have more bureaucracy, you tend to maybe be a little bit farther away from the person who's deciding to, you know, when and how to pay you, is it maybe riskier to start working with sort of behemoths these really big companies versus working with maybe a local sort of smaller company, or, or is that just not right? Uh, you're right, but there's also the the risk reward or the the benefit of working with the larger outfits is that they're going to hire the more professionalized companies 
the they're not going to typically be like if we're bidding on a job with a company like that, they're not going to have Joe Schmo painter down the street bidding on it because they can't satisfy the requirements of that client anyway. So it does help narrow the pool of competition when you're working with those people. So there is a little bit of a, a game you got to play. It's not a game, but just knowing that it, it may be riskier, but there's a little bit of reward there too, because it's not as a competitive market. Makes sense. Yeah. Pros and cons. So the we've talked about some of the risks, things to be aware of and the importance of proactive communication and setting expectations up front. Let's sort of talk about during the project. You know, maybe we can actually run through what a project looks like. Obviously, our listeners are going to, some will be in the space, they'll have been doing commercial painting for a while, and and this might be sort of redundant um, or inapplicable for them in terms of learning. Other people might be thinking about breaking into it. They've done strictly residential, and they really have no idea what a project entails. So let's say we, we landed the project, you know, we, we've signed, we had the contract review, reviewed by an attorney, we've set expectations, we feel good about it. What does it look like? What happens? Put liquid on the walls. Mm-hmm. Change the color. That was it. All right. So you guys yep. got it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think what we do is hard. Again, I, I can break this down into a typical, but there, there almost isn't anything as typical. Uh, generally, the clients that we work with, there's going to be like a pre-startup meeting, a pre-job meeting where you get oriented for the job, go through some safety stuff, check, understand the scope, who's going to be there, go on. Then there's typically going to be, once you're on the job actually painting, there might be a weekly in-person just foreman meeting or or brief little, everybody's kind of huddle it around, check in, uh, hit any hot button issues of conflicts between subs. Like, hey, when is this guy going to be done here so we can get in this room? Kind of logistical stuff that happens weekly. Uh, and those are typically on site or maybe like a call in meeting, something like that. Uh, and then depending on who you're working for, there's a lot of daily reports as well, which is typically just a manpower report of, hey, this is where we work today. This is who was on site. Uh, which is really good because it kind of gives you the backup too. When when something gets delayed, you can write that in your daily report. Like, hey, we couldn't paint X area because so and so was still in there, and it's documented. So at the end of the project, they come back say, hey, you know, why are you behind? It's uh, two weeks ago. Couldn't do this because of so and so. So there's just a little bit of daily documentation that happens. Um, obviously, just some of the safety stuff. Again, it kind of depends on who you're working with. Some of the smaller GCs have very lax safety programs, which, you know, it it, it is what it is. Uh, some of the larger, especially national GC, especially national GCs have pretty strict safety programs that you need to follow. And there'll be meetings for that and documentation for that. It's nothing you can't pick up on the first time with a job. They're super helpful of, hey, here's the process. Do this either on a iPad or a piece of paper. It's not complicated. It's just another 10 minute, 15 minute step in the process that you got to do every day. And none of these, I mean, we've done well over a million dollar projects, but the crew sizes are not really, rarely are they much bigger than a three to four person crew. Every once in a while we'll push up 
double that for something crazy. But, you know, I think people think these big contracts, big jobs, doesn't necessarily mean that we're piling on 25 painters. <laughs> they just go longer. Um, they just, yeah. And then you have your monthly billing, which uh, occurs toward the end of the month. And that's where, as we've kind of talked about previously, you're billing on completion, progress, uh, pulling out retainage, et cetera. And so you're going through another paperwork, another benchmark in the production piece is getting that billing accomplished. Sometimes it's quite the accomplishment. <laughs> so the and again, just to remind your listeners too, we're we're kind of hitting on the niche of new construction just because of its complexity, complexities and differences. Commercial repaint, again, runs much more similar to a residential repaint. So it's, there's less to talk about there. Got it. That's a good clarification. So the the safety briefs, all that's obviously going to be set by the GCs. Some are going to take it uh, more to heart than others, maybe. And then the, the reports, so the weekly reports, daily manpower reports, that kind of stuff. I would assume that's also flowing from the GC or who who's yep. actually creating that format? Yeah. There. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's probably at least some sort of a learning curve or, or adaptation every time you work with a new GC, like, okay, this is how you work it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if it's a new, every time it's a new client or new GC, yeah, there's, there's a, everybody's just a little different with the way they do their forms and their, what they want. But again, they're, they're very willing to teach you and sit down because they know you're new. It doesn't make you stupid to ask. Yeah. And I think that's oftentimes a fear is, sure. is that if you're going to ask this GC that you don't know how to do something that they're going to assume you don't know how to paint walls. And that's definitely not the case. There's um, if it is the case, fire that GC. <laughs> a great point. They're not wearing to help you with paperwork when you're new. <laughs> yeah. Like though the, I guess, imposter syndrome, you know, feeling like the GC is going to find them out that they haven't done a hundred commercial painting projects. Yeah. Before. Yeah. 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 So the it's it's interesting that you guys are essentially using the same size crew for everything, even these million plus projects. Do you ever have GCs come and, and want an expedited timeline and say like, hey, we need this to move really, really quickly and you have to maybe triple that? Yeah, you're going to always get barked at to bring more painters. <laughs> uh, here, here's a prime example. Um, a, a large project we're doing in Ohio right now. Um last we started it last summer and long story short we took it over from another painting contractor that was not performing that the gc had to fire which isn't an ideal situation for anybody but they said hey you know we need to get this area done this area done you're going to need like 20 guys in here to get this done by this date and i was like hold up tell just tell me what needs to get done and then i'll tell you how many guys need to be there you you don't get to tell me how many guys and I put, because we knew what we were doing, we put like eight or 10 out there and did twice the amount of work and half the amount of time as what the other painter did. And so if I would have put 20 guys on that, we would have, we would have ran out of work in about a day and a half. So it's, it's knowing what the capabilities of, of your crews are and don't let them dictate your manpower, let them dictate timelines. Got it. Yeah, you you don't want them micromanaging and telling you how to run your yeah. business. Yeah. So you I guys really, have a, go, go ahead. ahead. No, oh, no, it's your podcast. I'm just your guest. What were you going to ask? Oh, well, I don't. If you have a point here, 
Hit it. <laughs> I want to do some follow-ups. I was just going to say, um, I highly recommend the book, Never Split the Difference. Hmm. Uh, it's a really great book on negotiation skills and tactics. I know I was looking around the office. Where is it? It's, it's, a great book. Uh, it's a great book, but with very simple tools for exactly what, again, not everybody knows how to bark back at a GC. Advocate for yourself. Let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, little tools such as, you know, Matt could look back at them and say, so, so you're saying you want me to go ahead and bring 20 painters before we even know the scope of what all we're doing, you know, reframing the question back at them. But it's a great book. Uh, if you don't, if you're listening to this thinking, how in the world do I speak up for myself to this seemingly large client that I don't want to disappoint? It's an awesome book. Yeah. And uh, for everyone listening who doesn't know the book, it's written by, a, I guess, the world's leading FBI hostage negotiator, at least a very, very successful one. And what I think, Maggie, you're talking about here is basically when when someone, the hostage, you know, the uh, terrorist or whoever has the hostages says, hey, I want a helicopter and I want... $10 million and I want this and that. And okay, great. I want to get you those things. Here are my issues. How right. are we going to do it? And you basically, rather than fighting each other and you're on opposite sides of the table, you pull up your chair next to them and be like, hey, I'm not the enemy, but here's the problem. This is the reality. This is why it's difficult. Let's work together on how to make that happen. Yeah. Obviously, he's not yeah. going to give them those things, but right. that's what you're saying. And, and exactly. okay, this is what you need. How am I going to do that? Yeah. So I you want no me idea. to bring in my painters right now while your drywall guys are still standing. So, so you want me to put primer on the walls while there's drywall dust in the air. Yeah. I just sat next to you and made you realize that your request is not feasible right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. So I, I, I want to, let's keep focusing on that theme then. So the, you said you will always get barked at to bring more painters by the GCs. And so I want to I, I want to explore other things because people who are new to the world, you know, they've they've listened to the podcast, they've done some more homework, ideally than that, and they are are kind of in their first project, and all of a sudden they're getting blindsided by a few things. That might be one of those things. Well, Maggie and Matt, they said, "What the heck?" They said three to four painters. They do it for almost every project. Why is this guy screaming at me? I need to bring ten more painters. Are there other things that they can expect to be barked at about? Hmm. It's almost always schedule. Yeah. I mean, if if you're struggling with quality, that's maybe a different thing. And that typically happens at the end of the project if you're struggling there. But that's that's typically easy to fix in commercial projects. I can't think of it. And really, I think we talked about this in, in one of the earlier podcasts is the risk of that a GC has when hiring you is, can you commit to their timeline? Can you get the job done in time? That's all they want. It needs to look nominally good, but completed on time. <laughs> yeah. Hit the, the baseline quality. Yeah. Be on time. I'm not diminishing quality at all. Don't think I'm saying that, but they, that comes second to, can you commit to the timeline and the schedule? Yeah. Fine paints of Europe throughout the commercial building. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also on top. Love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then another question. You guys came into that project recently. At another painter had been there and got fired. You said it's not ideal. Obviously, there's probably work that's undone. It probably makes your life more difficult. When you come into a project like that, aside from, or, or I guess we can elaborate on actually the, the half done work project, 
which is always more difficult to start with something like that. Um, do you find there are other difficulties? Do you find the GC is maybe less tolerant because now they've had to deal with other things in the past? Do you find sometimes the GC is a bad GC and that's why they had the turnover? What does that look like? So I think we've only done this a handful of times. Again, it's not ideal for any anybody to do this, but in in this most recent scenario, they definitely came in with their hackles up and their guard raised a little bit more because they had been burned. So they they were they had a heavy hand and a micromanagement mindset for the first couple of weeks until they realized like, oh, these guys got it. We're, they're not like the other guy. So and it's been fine since then. Oh, I think it's fair to assume that of any new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's what you were alluding to, Brandon, but if it's your first or second, if it's your first job with any human within the company, let alone your first job with that company, um, you can probably assume that there's going to be that same kind of culture and mentality of I'll let you run this once you prove and build that trust with me, because it's their job to protect and it's their client to protect and you're new and you have to prove yourself. And I don't mean that in a cocky conceited or any way other than you just have to show them that they hired you for a reason. That's something we talk about a lot in our office when we do get a new client. Um, Thinking one recently where we first time working for this client and it was for their new Nashville headquarters. So it was like as high profile of a job as you could possibly do for a new client. So our, our expectations of how we were talking is like, guys, we got to knock this one out of the park. We got to, whatever this one takes, like, this is our focus. Mm -hmm. This is, if something else needs to budge anywhere else, this one needs to be an A plus job. And you, and similarly, I mean, that started with pricing. You're like, I have to price this to get it because I want to be in their face, but also I need to price it to set the expectation of what our pricing is. (laughs) Um, You know, he carried it all the way through production and close out and, um, it turned out great Yeah, for the record. Yeah, I love it. So you made an interesting point, Maggie, about not just the first time dealing with a company, but the first time dealing with a person. So one of the, you know, one of the things we deal with at Painter Marketing Pros, we obviously work with, with painting companies to market grow. And sometimes there'll be a marketing director or, or someone who comes into the painting company, right? And they want to make their mark. So then we have have to have a discussion that say, hey, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a full audit of what you're doing. Show me everything you're doing. Oh, you're you're not doing this, you should be doing that. Sometimes they have good ideas. Oftentimes, you know, you're making a lot of noise, but you're not really saying anything, right? Do you guys have when when someone comes into these existing relationships that you have? You know, you've done a lot of projects for this company, but now you have a new new team member who wants to show his worth, maybe he wants to lean on the subcontractors a little bit and and kind of show how he's saving on budget or he's speeding up the timeline. He's better than his predecessor. You deal with that ever? And if so, you know, how do you handle it? I think people deal with that no matter what kind of job they're doing. Think of it in the residential world where it's, you're dealing with the wife the whole time and then the husband comes back from work trip and everything changes, you know, it was all good until it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's just where you have to continue to think about the relationship side of this. And, and I realized that, that business can be transactional and that's not a bad thing, but if you're going to choose to get into this world of painting, you have to have 
a relational side. You just have to. Very strong negotiation tactics too. Yeah. There's no, there's no transactions. Um, because in the end there's, there's going to be these hard conversations and then there's going to be these handoffs. And thankfully we've built enough, you know, you build a reputation. And so if we're working with a new superintendent within a company, more than likely someone in the office has told him what it's like to work with Harpeth. Right. And so you want to get enough of a backing behind your name and you're, you've done, you do that with all the things we've talked about, right. The communication, the, the promptness, the professionalism, all these things we've talked about build up to that trust factor. Um, and then also just remembering that people are people. And, and I think we have to allow our clients grace a little bit more than we want to a lot of painting contractors, that I see on the old interwebs, you know, they take things so personally and I get it. It's our business. It's our livelihood. It's our brand. It's, it's what we wake up and put our feet on the floor thinking about. But at the same time, you know, you have to remember that, that the superintendent that might've yelled at you for something that you don't understand why, and it's not your fault, giving them some grace, who knows what happened to them the night before, (laughs) you know, and just kind of remembering that we're all human in this process. And, um, just approaching it with a little bit more breathing room. Yeah, no, it makes sense. We are, we're all human. We all have our own baggage. And sometimes what, yeah. what, you know, if you're being criticized or yelled at it, maybe they would have done it no matter what you did because, right. they, you know, I had a big fight with their spouse the night before or whatnot. Yeah. And I, I keep reminding, especially on new contract, new construction, I keep reminding our PMs, they might've been crass to you or short with you. Doesn't mean it's you for all, you know, the plumbing guy just totally screwed up and they're frustrated. Like there's these clients, these GCs have so many things going on to get this project going and to the finish line. Uh, and we're just a tiny piece of that, a tiny piece of that. And so just remembering that in the grand scheme of things as, as you're dealing with these relationships. A great point. Do you guys have any, any sort of outside the box advice, obviously quality work on time, great communicate, proactive communication, expectation setting. You have anything else you do to, to sort of assist the relationship, right? We talked about stuff you do maybe proactively before um, to, to show the GC how you're going to make their life easier, ways that you can add value before you start the project. Aside from doing a good job, being on time, being good at your craft, is there anything you can do? I mean, the, the kind of cheesy idea in my mind. Yeah. Like a birthday gift or a little gift. So is there anything you do that sort of goes above and beyond that maybe other contractors are not doing? Honestly, I think, and and if you ever, the more you listen to me versus Matt talk, the more you're going to hear the brains behind operations versus kind of more the human side of it for me. And for and, people who aren't watching the video, the human was Matt and the brains is, is yeah, Matt. Yeah, the brains, the- Or the maybe the opposite. Operation is Matt. Um, but you know, one of our best commercial project managers will tell you that the way that he wins people over is by remembering their name and asking them about their weekend. And it's simple, but you have got to remember how much it means to somebody when you give them five seconds of attention as to who they are as a person. And he's very good at that. He's beloved on job sites. Yeah, Dale Carnegie, the, the, the how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, a person's name is is the most important. What is it? The most important word in the or sweetest word in the world to them? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. 
but no, we don't really do any other gimmicky or chintzy or typical wine and dining. Yeah. I mean, Matt will, especially if we're trying to either nurture a client or thank a client, you know, golf trips or golf outings or fishing trips or invite them to go hunting. If we, we like to fundraise or sponsor, you know, golf tournament fundraisers and you get a foursome. So we'll take two from our team and two from a GC or just this past weekend, we went to a fundraiser for a local charity that we support and we had a, we bought a table. So half the table was our team and the other half was clients that we invited. Um, so just, I mean, no, we're not sending them birthday cards or doing anything super tactical. It's more of a, a feel of, Hey, it's probably time to, Time to reconnect with that person, partly because we like them, yeah, but also because we want to show our gratitude. Partly because it's time for Matt to go hunting again, and you need someone to come out there with him. So yeah. there's that. It's it's a way to uh, have a little business and a little pleasure mixed together. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so the project is done. You guys did a good job. Is there anything you do? You know, in in residential we obviously focus a lot on reviews we focus a lot on referrals repeat business staying in front of past customers things like that is there anything you guys do at the end of a commercial project uh the way i, I kind of put it is to further monetize that project obviously if you did a good job you're probably going to work with that gc again but is there anything else that you do uh one thing that we it's it's a requ- uh, i don't know if it's a requirement it should be a requirement but we we provide a really good closeout package, or some people call it a custodian package, which basically has our information in it, all the colors, where they go, what the products were, uh, basically maintenance information for the building owner. So hopefully what that does is a year from now when they want touch up on something, they go to their little drive or or book or whatever it is that the GC provides them and they can look, oh, these, oh, that was the painter. Maybe I'll just call them rather than doing this myself or hiring somebody else. That's kind of a way to to stay in the door with whoever the building owner is. Now you're doing, you, you took it from new commercial to now you're doing commercial repaints for them. Yep. Yep. You a lot of times that stuff of gets, it gets thrown away or, or they don't have a good way of keeping, keeping in touch with it. So uh, and again, we don't do this as much as what we should, but when a building is turned over, asking our, our client, Hey, who's, who's going to be the management team that's working on long-term facility management. And a lot of times you can get, get in, in touch with those people. So basically keeping in touch with, with the buildings, basically yeah. whoever's sort of in yeah. charge of those buildings. Yeah. And then, uh, what I have done with especially with new new clients or new people that we work with, um, especially now that we have project managers, I'll usually follow up with them at the end of a project and be like, hey, how did my team do? Anything we could improve on? What did we do good at? Uh, just so I have direct feedback for my team. Because sometimes you don't even hear about it. Sure. Yeah, you're probably only going to hear about something if it's something really bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you want to hear the moderately bad stuff too. Yeah. And you can hear the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And unless it's just something out of this world, you're you're yeah. certainly not going to hear about the good. Because when it was just me doing it, you get that feedback constantly, especially when they know you're the owner of the company. But now that I've got multiple people managing multiple projects that I may not even ever go to, I need to get that feedback from them. 
And that probably goes a long way. It gives you the feedback you need, but it also shows them that you care a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there was something, hey, I really didn't like this. And maybe in their mind, they're like, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm going to use this painting company again. Now that you called and had that conversation and said, hey, I didn't like this. Hey, thanks so much for letting me know. We're going to get that taken care of. It won't be an issue moving forward. It's not that nagging doubt has been removed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Anything else you guys want to add this topic? I know we're this is a bit of a shorter episode at this point, but we've covered so much in the first two episodes. I know we're going to move into the fun relationship stuff in episode four. Was there anything else that you'd like to discuss in terms of making a commercial painting project successful or really anything that we've covered in the first three episodes? I think the same as what I said at the end of the other episodes is reach out to people. There may not be this episode again was probably a little confusing for people that have no idea about commercial work, but lean on your peers. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask questions, whether it's to the, to the client or to your peers or Google. I mean, <laughs> chat GPT. Yeah. There's so many resources out there. How do I run this commercial painting project? Chat GPT? <laughs> what do I do? Let me see what it says. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate you. Thank you for this this episode. I think we've gotten a very big run through. And for people who are listening, like Matt said, if, if some of this stuff is seems kind of foreign or you're not able to fo follow it all, that's okay. It's like a good book or, or like a good anything. Once you get more experience, go back and listen again. Because as you get more educated and familiar with the space, you're probably going to better appreciate some of the things that Maggie and Matt have said here. That might be flying a little over your head or, or might not seem as relevant right now. So guys, appreciate your time. Very much looking forward to getting into your relationship dynamics. That's yeah. going to be fun. By the way, ChatGPT has some uh, great resources on how to do this. What was the prompt? <laughs> I actually just said how to run a commercial painting project. <laughs> and it gave, Is it, it gave, does it look good? It gave me 12 bullet points that are pretty much all the things we talked about. Well, there you go. So you, you could re-listen to this or you could just go to ChatGPT and, and get Matt's brain download there. I'm going to send this to you. It's funny. Send it. Yeah. <laughs> we can we can include it in the episode notes. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you for episode four. Thank you. Yeah. See you. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.